And you can be seated this morning. We're going to open us up in prayer, and then we'll dive right in. God, I thank you. Lord, and we worship you. What a beautiful name it is that we get to sit and dwell on today. God, and I pray that you speak through me, Lord, that you use this message, God, to touch someone's heart. That as we look at this sign, God, that it points us to you and to what you are doing in and through us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, it's good to be before you this morning and to celebrate what God is doing. Uh, So if you want to open your Bibles to John chapter 9, that is where we are going to be camping out this morning. Um, John chapter 9, we're continuing our series through the seven signs of Jesus. And this morning, we're going to be talking about how God, uh, how Jesus heals a man that was born blind. Now, I don't know if you could tell, but sight has always been an issue for me uh, for as long as I can remember. And the way that I describe it to help people understand what it's like for me is if you're driving, uh, if you're driving in your car during heavy rain, right, and then you turn your windshield wipers off, that's what it looks like. So you should all try that. Um, not, not for a long time, because that might be a little dangerous. Uh, but, but that, for me, is what it's like without my glasses. And so it must be really funny watching me when I lose, when I lose them, trying to find my glasses, but not being able to actually see. And so I'm probably like crawling around on the floor um, until I find them and then I can see. But so I want it, it, to, it, it's amazing for me how much sight plays into it. Like I love going to the dentist. I have great teeth, but when I have to go to the eye doctor and they tell me how blind I am, that for me is the appointment that I don't want to go to. And it's probably why for me, the way that I describe right, my salvation, the way that Jesus came and made himself real to me, is using sight. Right? And the way that I describe it, that I've, maybe you've heard this story before, is that for me, I had an understanding of who Jesus was. I grew up in the church. I knew about him. I knew about the faith and Christianity and religion, and I knew it all. But for me personally, it was like living in the middle of the night, right? And Jesus was over here in this light. But for me, I was living in darkness because I did not have that in my heart. And what happened is that I don't have a specific date. I don't have a specific instance where I know from here on. But what happened for me and my journey is that over time, like the beginning of a day, like the rising of the sun, like a dawn, Jesus made himself real to me and illuminated the world around me to the point where I was roughly in high school, and, and I can't give you a specific day, but I know that I reached a point where I had to say, Jesus is Lord of my life. And it was like when you finally are in the daylight and you can see around you, right? Because we have a sunrise, but it's gradual and it gets brighter and brighter and we begin to see more things from the light around us. But that, that for me is my understanding. That's the best way that I could describe God's work in my life. But we're going to see a similar situation 
from the light of the world, where Jesus opens the eyes of a man who had spent his entire life living in darkness. And that's the same situation for all of us. I know that we're not physically blind, but in our hearts, we were living in darkness. Because as we read this chapter, Jesus did more than just heal his sight. He opened the eyes of this man's heart. We don't even know his name, but what an amazing story. And as we said every week, we're trying to answer the question of why. Why this sign specifically? Why does John choose to highlight this story, this action of Jesus? What's the purpose? And so the first thing I want to do this morning with you is talk about the purpose of this sign. Now, I'm not going to read through the whole chapter, but we'll cover most of it anyway. I have, it is too much in here, but the purpose of the sign, right? And we've said that every week that there is a purpose to a sign. We see so many around here in this pandemic, that there's a sign and people put them here for a purpose. Dylan wants you to wash your hands when you go to the bathroom, right? There's a message in the sign, there's content, and then there's a response that we want to see because of it. A sign tells you something and then hopes that you read it, that you understand it, and then you follow the sign. Please. And this makes me think of a story that I heard a while back of a, a sea captain, right? He was a captain of a, of a battleship, and it was a dark night, and uh, he was out on the bridge, and it was foggy. And off in the distance, he sees a light blinking, and he thinks that it's another ship and, coming right towards him. So he gets on the radio, and, he, and he, he broadcasts out to whoever this is, you need to alter your course 10 degrees to the south. Get out of my way. I'm coming. You need to move. So he hears back the reply. Well, sir, with all due respect, you need to alter your course 10 degrees to the north. Now this captain, he was in charge of a battleship. He was a pretty important guy. And so he feels a little offended and insulted. And so he, he gets right back on it and he says, listen here, I'm coming at you with a battleship. You need to move 10 degrees to the south now. And he hears back, with all due respect, sir, that's fine. I'm a lighthouse. <laughs> right? So when we hear a sign, like a lighthouse blinking at us, we should probably listen to that sign. Because there are consequences if we ignore the signs that are posted around us, and if we ignore the signs that John and his gospel shares with us. If we see what Jesus is doing and say, I understand and I see it and I hear it and I'm reading it, but I'm going to ignore it. I'm going to head straight for that light because you know what? I'm in charge and that lighthouse is going to move. Probably not. But that is why we understand the importance of signs and that they have a purpose. And so in verse 3 of John chapter 9, we'll read that because we see the purpose of this sign. And he says that neither this man nor his parents sinned, but he was born blind 
that the works of God might be displayed in him. We, underline that, we, because I'm going to come back to that, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work as long as I am in the world. I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. This man was born blind. He spent his entire life in darkness so that the works of God could be displayed in him. That's a pretty hard thing maybe for us to understand. And I don't want to ignore that of what seems unfair that this man had to go through that life with that disability so Jesus could work through him. But I want you to notice something. When you read this chapter, and I hope you do this week because there's so much in this. Do you see him complain? Do you see this man question and ask why and wonder? We don't hear it. We hear thanks and, and, and adoration. But what's interesting is that he never questions Jesus. Because if we believe that God can only work through our blessings and prosperity, we alienate anyone who's suffering and we concede any time that we spend in suffering. If we think that God can only bless us with prosperity and, and wealth and happiness, what do we do with the time that we're in a difficult situation? Do we just say, oh, God can't use me? Oh, well, I'll come back in five years when things get better and when my life looks better, and then God can use me and then I can reflect his blessing and then God can work in my life. To think that God cannot work in our difficult situation is an insult. And it's saying that God is so small that he can't use your difficult situation. God wants to work through you no matter what you're going through. As I was reading up on this, I came across that years ago uh, when, when Christian saints were nearing their deathbed. And when they knew that they were about to die and in pain and near the end of their life, they would call their family together and they would gather them and they would say, come see how a Christian dies. Because they understood that no matter what the situation, no matter what the circumstance, God could work through that for his glory. For his glory. Another thing that I came across recently, I was listening on the radio uh, about an author who, who just came out with a new book. His name is Daniel Nayeri. And he came out with a, an autobiography that says, everything sad is not true. And I was fascinated by his story for this reason. He's an Iranian refugee who grew up in Iran to well-to-do parents. His mom was a doctor. She had graduated. They, were, they owned villages. They were in high society until his mom converted to Christianity. And she was in prison. She was questioned. She was beaten. She had a hit put out on her because she would not renounce her faith. And so her and her son and her daughter fled their home, fled everything they knew, wound up in the United States, spent years in poverty. She was working multiple jobs. This doctor who had such a privileged life, I was so stricken by this because she could have 
thrown it all away. She could, have, she could have had that life if only she had renounced her faith. Instead, she chose. She said, I will not move. And she inspired her son to write this book. And it just struck me so much that so often we deal with just a little bit of suffering and we say, oh, I can't take this anymore. And we cave so quickly. But I think about this woman and her transformation and her life that drove her to do this, to give up everything because she knew what was important. And just as this man's eyes were opened and the works of God were displayed in him, the works of God were displayed in that woman's life because she chose to follow him. But the question I want to I answer this morning, right? So Jesus says that the works must be displayed. This man was in this situation so the works could be displayed. Well, what are the works, right? What are the works in our life? What are the works that God is calling us to do? And there's two. The first is that he opens eyes, right? We read it later in the chapter that John, uh, that Jesus, after he said these things, puts mud on his eyes, sends him off, and he goes away seeing. An amazing miracle. A physical healing. Why? Jesus did this because nobody could refute that. The man himself later, when he's being questioned by Pharisees, he says, never before has anybody been born blind and received sight. So Jesus performs a physical healing, one that cannot be replicated by anybody. He wants it to be so clear that only Jesus could do this. It's like when you think back to, to Moses before Pharaoh, right? And he's doing all these signs and, and to prove before Pharaoh in Egypt who God is. And the magicians can keep up for a little bit, but finally they go to Pharaoh and they say, we can't do this. This is beyond us. And so what Jesus does is he performs something that is so powerful and supernatural in this life of this man that nobody can question his authority. Nobody. And we know that it's because of who Jesus is that he was able to do that. Nobody could refute his authority. It was tangible, visible transformation in a person's life. It was a physical change that people could see. His neighbors didn't even realize that he was the same person because they said, how could this be? I knew a man who was blind and a beggar, and now there's someone standing before me who can see. That's impossible. And yet, isn't that what God does for us? Isn't that what he did when he took our life and transformed it so much so that I hope people cannot recognize who you were before Christ. That your life is so radically different that people have to wonder if it's really you. That's the power of Christ in us. And that's why the other, the other work that Jesus did is that he not only opened physical eyes, he opened the eyes of this man's heart. And we'll see that as we go through the chapter. But I want you to understand that the physical is fine. 
right? It's amazing. And we see God's greatness and we see his goodness in his greatness, the way that he gave this man sight. But that's not the end of the story. It's not just about our physical sight and how comfortable we are here on earth. God could give you all the blessings in the world. And it's true that some people are so poor that all they have is money. Because all of our blessings account for nothing if God doesn't do something in our hearts. Do you understand what I'm saying? The physical healing is fine and it's amazing, right? I'm not trying, I'm not trying to, to, to downplay that at all. But there's a more important set of eyes that are opened in this man's life. And we'll see that later in his response. In, in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus, uh, before he heals the man, he looks around. Uh, this is the man who is, who is uh, lowered into the roof. He says, which is it easier to do? To heal sins or to perform this miracle and tell this man to get up and walk? Which is easier, Right? Because his intent, his intent, the reason why he was here was to forgive this man's sins in Matthew chapter 9. But he challenges them and he says, what's it easier to do, to forgive sins or to heal this man? And then he heals the man so that he can prove I can heal his sins as well. And that's why we see it here in John chapter 9. That's why he opens his eyes so that he can then open his eyes, the eyes of his heart. And that is what Jesus wants to do for us. That's why he performs this sign, right? That's why he does this great work that only he could do so that he could open the eyes of our heart and be the light of the world and pull us out of darkness and into light. I think of the hymn, Amazing Grace, written by John Newton, and, and you need to hear his story if you haven't heard it before. He was a slave captain of a slave ship, bringing slaves across the Atlantic until God got a hold of his heart. And if you want to talk about eyes being opened, this man who totally renounced his way of life once God got a hold of his heart, the beginning of the song goes, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. And he's not talking about a physical blindness here. He's talking about a life that had no direction. He's talking about a life that all of us can probably relate to, if not by the grace of God. That we see people around us who have no purpose, no direction, no hope. Because their eyes are blind. Because their eyes are closed to the light of Jesus. And that's why he did this work in this man's life and in your life and in my life. Because of his grace. He saved wretches like us. And that's the purpose of the sign. Now I want to I look at the nature of the sign because the way that God works is so amazing. I love it. I love the way that God works in our lives. And the first thing that he does, the first thing we see that, about the nature of the sign is that it was unique. It was unique to this man's circumstance. Not all of us are blind. So Jesus can't heal all of us of blindness. 
But he took that man's unique situation and said, I'm going to use that and speak into his surroundings. What is, your, what is your disability? What is your handicap? What is the way that Jesus wants to work in your life? How does he want to perform a sign through you? I had a conversation this week with uh, a, a good friend, and he was talking about his job and how frustrated he is at his work environment. Because when his manager is gone, all of the other employees slack off, and there's no accountability, and they feel like they don't have to work. And he knows what he should do. He knows the right thing. And so I challenged him. I said, you could be a witness in that environment. The easy thing is not always necessarily the right thing. Oftentimes it's not. But how can God work in your unique situation to display his works through you? Not only was it unique, it was also timely it was timely. Jesus said um, that he is doing the work of him who sent me while it is day. There in verse 4. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. What does that mean while it's day? Jesus knew that his time was short on earth. Jesus understood the importance, the urgency of his mission, and I hope for you that you understand that as well. That our time is short. There is a day that we have to do the work of him who sent us, and then our day is done, and we can't work anymore. And the people in your life are in your life for a season, and I hope that you take advantage of that. Charles Darwin said it, a man who dares to waste one hour of time has not understood the value of life. A man who has dared to waste one hour of time has not discovered the value of life. And yet how many hours a day do we waste? I hate that my phone has that screen time monitor. That is the worst thing ever on my phone because I look at that and I feel terrible at the end of the day when I see how much time I spend on my phone. And yet our culture is so engineered to get us to spend time on our phones or in front of the TV or in front of entertainment. And I feel convicted by that because we live in a world that says just spend more time the auto-reload on the Netflix episodes when you don't even have to get up, it's like they're trying to get us to waste time. Jesus was deliberate in the work that he was doing. He knew that night was coming. And he goes even further because what happens and you'll, you'll see it later in the chapter. He does this on the Sabbath, which is a big no-no in Jewish tradition. Which is crazy when you think about it, that he heals this man and, and we have an issue that he's doing it on the Sabbath. But if he could have waited just one day, he would have saved himself so many trouble, so much trouble with the religious people of his time. If he had said, look, it's the Sabbath. You know, we got we to gotta obey this. Come back tomorrow. 
let's do this tomorrow, right? I don't want to really deal with, you know, the, the ramifications of that. Jesus saw this man, he saw an opportunity, and he took it, and he would not be deterred. Sometimes we take every opportunity to put things off. Oh, I'm not really feeling that conversation today. I know I really hold, need to hold this guy accountable, but, but I, need to, I need to be doing this instead. And we find every opportunity to, to protect ourselves from doing the work that God has called us to do. From opening eyes. We say, I'll do it later. I've got time. Do we? When God is putting something in our paths, when we have a chance to bless someone, when we have a chance to speak into someone's life, when we have a chance to communicate the hope, and we don't act on it, I just picture God's heart grieving for that. Why do we need to wait for the perfect moment when it's right that we say, okay, now I can, now I'll have that conversation? It was unique, it was timely, and it was miraculous. It was something that could be done, but it was not something that could be done by any other means but by the hand of God. Any situation, anything that you're going through, God can use it. God can turn you around. You are not so far from him that he can't take hold of your life. So that was the nature of the sign that we, that we see the greatness of him moving through Jesus. And finally, what I want to talk about for just a minute is the effect of the sign. Right? Because I said earlier that there's, a, that, that, that there's a message that's communicated, that there's content that then needs a response. And there's five responses, there's five groups of people that witness this. The first is his neighbors. And we'll see that um, starting with verse 9. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He said, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been formerly blind. They're amazed. And rightly so. That this could happen in their midst. That they could see a transformation. And yet what do they do? They bring this man to the experts, right? The Pharisees that they thought could answer this question. Because they didn't know any better. But so often we go to what we believe as our experts. People that we want answers from and yet... The man was clear 
the person who did this was Jesus. Why do we need to look any further? Why do we need to, to spend hours in front of the TV or on social media listening to the experts? When this man, he said it, it was right there. I'll tell you who did this. I'll tell you how it happened. It was Jesus. And yet somehow that's not enough. That's what Travis was talking about last week where we just want this simple Christianity and we think that it's, it's too complicated, that Jesus isn't enough, that we don't trust him. We didn't need to go any further than that. They should have said, okay, great, it was Jesus. Let's find this guy. And yet they went to the Pharisees and the Pharisees have an amazing, amazing, amazing response. And you need to read this because they actually bring the, the, the man twice. They go through it the first time and then it's not enough and they bring him back. But the Pharisees' response is that they say that you're ruining our traditions. You're healing on the Sabbath and that's a problem. Never mind the fact that you perform this supernatural miracle that's never happened before. You did it on the wrong day. Jesus is transforming this man's life. He did it on the wrong day. In verse 16, they say, This man is not from God. He breaks the Sabbath. Their focus was all wrong. They were focused on their traditions and what they wanted to be right. And they, find, they sent him away and then they talked to his parents. And his parents, unfortunately, in verses 20 to 22, don't have a great response either. They bring the, they bring the parents in and say, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. Uh, yes! Like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that God just did this. I can't believe our son, who we've spent this entire life, he's been a beggar, and now he can see this is amazing. But now he sees, we do not, but how he sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age, he will speak for himself. Their son's life has just been transformed radically, turned upside down. He's been giving new hope. And this is all his parents can say. And here's why. In verse 22, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. Are we afraid of, of, of letting Jesus' transformation in our hearts upset some of the things in our life? Are we afraid that maybe we won't be as accepted as we were? Like Daniel Nyeri's mother, 
she could have, she could have lived in fear and let it go and said, maybe that's, that's a great thing, but I want to keep living my life. I hope that Jesus has gotten so much attention from you and he has done so much in your life that nothing else matters. I hope that you're willing to put it all on the line and face whatever alienation comes your way because that your eyes have been opened. And I'm telling you, it's worth it. Don't live in fear of what's going to happen. Don't live in fear. And the Pharisees, they, they, they take the man back and they, and they go on a little bit more and, and try to convince him. Listen, give glory to God, right? Let's be, let's be honest here. We're children of, uh, we're, we're disciples of Moses. Work with us. And they did everything they could to get this man to toe the line to be acceptable in society. Not to cause too much of a ruckus. And, and I mean, I love this guy and you need to read this chapter because he talks about like, oh, so the Pharisees are so interested in what Jesus did. Maybe they want to be Jesus' disciples too. Like, oh, that's so cool. And, and he just, he, it's sarcasm in the Bible. If you, if you ever doubted that it's in there, it's amazing, this guy's response. And I'm thinking like his eyes were just open. So he's probably like on cloud nine right now. But they have a, uh, a hard time with him, the Pharisees. And some of the most religious people in your life are going to have an issue with you when Jesus gets a hold of your life. They're not going to like that you're doing things differently. They're not going to like that your actions change. And then you're not as beholden to the same traditions anymore when, when Jesus shows up in your life. Right? We have to be prepared that some of the most religious people around us are going to take issue with what we do. And that's okay. That's okay. Because we're with Jesus, all right? <laughs> Finally, right, the, the Pharisees, they can't get anything out of him, so they, they cast him out of the temple. They say, get out. We can't do anything with you. You're done. And he's cast out of the temple only to be found by the Lord of the temple. And Jesus finds him. But I want, to, I want you to get this, because the fourth response is the man's response, right? So we have the neighbors, the Pharisees, the parents, now for the man himself. And here it is. He says this, whether he is a sinner, I don't know. Right? And why does he say that? Why, why is this in question? Because the, the, the Pharisees wanted to believe that Jesus was a sinner and couldn't do this. And so they were questioning him. But the man says, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. Uh, I have the pleasure of knowing Mike Whitney. Some of you may know him. He's a name that you might hear around here. He was the regional uh, director for the Navigators for Northern New England. And he, he uh, told his story of when he first came to Christ. He was in college and, and, and he just had an amazing uh, transformation. But he, he said he didn't know much when he first got saved. Right? He didn't immediately become this theological titan. But he said... I, uh, I was given 1 John 5.12. Whoever has the Son has life. 
whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And he said he would go around his dorm room and people would ask him, you know, hey, what, what's this all about? What's, he, what, what's going on? Like, what? And he would, all he had, all he had was 1 John 5, 12. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. That was all he had, and that was enough for him. All this man had was his experience that nobody could take away from him. I think for a lot of us, when we go through struggles, when we go through doubts, we doubt the work that God has done in us. We doubt our salvation. But nobody could argue with this man who said, one thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. Though I was blind, now I see. And it's, and it's a progressive thing too. And, and, and follow with me here. Verse 10, right? When he first gets asked about it. This man, Jesus. Because all he knew of Jesus, right? He was there. He was blind. He couldn't see anything. This guy comes up to him and says, all right, let's go. We're going to give you your sight. He's like, he knew nothing. And when they ask him, he says, this man, Jesus, he came up to me. He, he healed my eyes. Then, in verse 17, when he's getting questioned by the Pharisees, in verse 17, he says, he's a prophet. So he goes from, Jesus goes from a man to a prophet. Right? A prophet, one that is the mouthpiece of God, that sends the message of God. So this man is understanding now a little bit more of who Jesus is. And as his eyes are opened, not just physically, but spiritually, he gets a little bit more of who Jesus is. And the more that we see Christ, the more he becomes in our lives. Until finally in verse 38, I got to read this. This is too good. In verse 38, he's kicked out of the temple, but then he finds the Lord of the temple. Or I should say, the Lord of the temple finds us, right? How often Jesus finds us when we're not looking for him. Jesus heard that they cast him out. Let's start in verse 35. Jesus heard that they cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? This guy's ready for anything. Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. Verse 38. He said, Lord, I believe. He goes from a man, just a man who came and healed me, now I understand a little bit more. He can't just be a man. He's got to be a prophet. He's got a message. He's displaying works in my life that are opening my eyes. He's not just a prophet. Lord, I believe. I've seen what you've done in my life. I can't argue it. I can't refute it. I might not even be able to understand how you were able to do it. Lord, I believe. That's the fourth response. What's the fifth one? It's ours. Right? This man was born blind. He spent years in darkness so that the works of God might be, really, uh, might be displayed in him. This sign that, that Jesus performed so that people could see and believe what now is our response. We see the light ahead of us. 
What is our response? My heart and my hope this morning is that it's the right one. And the worship team can come up um, because I want us to close and I want us to think about this, right? Our response needs to be twofold. One, we are the work. Jesus is the light of the world in our lives. We were living in darkness and he came and he opened our eyes and he gave us life. We are the work. He had to work in us in order that he could work through us. Right? Because what is he saying? Back in verse 3. That the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me. We. Not just me. All of us must work the works of him who sent Jesus. We are the work. Johnny Erickson Tata, uh, in her book, When Is It Right to Die? She said, um, you may not be expecting anything in life, but life is still expecting, anticipating something from you. We might not think that, that God can get any use out of us. We might think that we have nothing to offer, that there is nothing left in this life for us. But God has a purpose for you. So that we are the work and we do the work. Jesus is not here physically anymore, but his church is. And we are the light of the world. We display his work in our lives, and then we declare his works to the rest of the world. It is still our day to work, but for how long? Night is coming for each of us. Night's coming for you. The time of your life here on earth is coming to a close. I don't know when, neither do you. But for the time that you have left, can we be about the business of God's business? Opening eyes. You are the light of the world. So are you, are you, are you opening eyes or are you hiding it under a basket? Jesus didn't wait. He literally did this. You can read chapter, uh, verse 1. As he was passing by. How many opportunities do we have in the passing why? When there's a moment and then it's gone. Don't miss it. They're going to play a, a, a close with this song, Great I Am. Because that is who God is. And that is who we are pointing to. Line in there says, you are the great I am. Only he can open our eyes. Only he can transform us. And that's who we're pointing to. That's what the sign is about. And I hope you're ready. I hope you're willing. Because I know that there are so many people who are desperate, living in darkness. Let's pray. God, you have placed us where we are for such a time as this. God, and I thank you for opening our eyes. I thank you for transforming us.
may we then go and do likewise. God, may we do your works and display your works and declare your works so that people can see and believe, so that people can say, Lord, I believe. It's in your name we pray. Amen.